scripture reading this morning is from Romans 8, 12 through 17. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. This is God's word. Morning. We are moving through Romans chapter 8, and uh, this will be our last week in that. Uh, we're going to take a quick Christmas detour uh, next week, so can put a marker. This is a really credible uh, set of verses here. Um, thinking about in Romans 8, we're thinking about this idea of, so how do we actually translate the fact of Jesus, life and death, all that. What is that? How does that translate into uh, real change in real life for us? And Romans eight kind of helps us to put that into practice. We started. We start with the verse last week. We looked at there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, and it ends chapter eight with there's no separation, no condemnation to no separation. So what does that mean? How do we know God's with us? How do we live in a different way because of that? So last week we looked at this idea that because Jesus Christ came in the flesh and lived for us and died for us, that we no longer, there's no, we don't have to fear the penalty of sin. That should be gone in us. Now it's a, it's a battle. It's a battle to know that there's no penalty for our sin. Any sin you're ever going to commit, it's already covered. That doesn't make intuitive sense to us as Christians. But if we live that way, we're living in relationship with God rather than by the law and the penalty of back and forth. Every time I sin, God's angry with me until I do something. And we don't live like that, Paul says. We live in the Spirit. And chapter 8 of Romans, talked about last week, more mentions of the Spirit of God living inside you. You have God's Spirit now, if you're a child of God living inside you. So that's where we left off last week. I'm going to talk about just three. It's going to be a fairly quick message this morning because I want to talk about three things. What does it mean to be adopted? What does it mean to be an adopted son, given that half the people in this room wouldn't consider themselves sons? And what does it mean to be an adopted son of Abba Father? So that's kind of the three things we're going to look at. What does that mean to be adopted? Look with me if you've got your Bible at Romans chapter 8, verse 15. I'll, I'll make a one verse back to get a running start. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Equivalency. You have the Spirit of God, you're a child of God. And then 15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Some of your translations may say a spirit of slavery. 
And my, uh, my ESV translation has a small spirit, small S in front of spirit there. Note, we'll look at that in a second. For you did not receive a or the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit, my translation is a capital S, the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. We're just going to look at that. We're going to concentrate on that verse for a minute. My parents, my my mom in particular, uh, was born in 1922, uh, and the the Great Depression hit in 1929 and was over in 1941. So do your math. She was seven when the Depression started. She was uh, 19 or ish when the Depression ended. So she always considered herself a child of the Depression because think of the formative years. She remembers people knocking on the door of their house in Massachusetts many, many times, just people they knew or people passing through looking for food. Is there any work to be done around the house? That was her lot life. Just imagine if that was the life. And it shaped her, and yet as a Christian, she knew that that wasn't her ultimate identity, but it was part of who she was. In her family, she had a family member who it shaped pretty much the rest of his life. He lived in a spirit of fear and lack that it would happen again, and it shaped everything that he did and how he lived. Um, And it didn't shape my mom in the same way, but anyone who lived through that, no one here is old enough to quite live it the way my mom would have been a 100 this year, so we don't have anybody that's reached that age, and she's sort of the last generation of people to remember that, but there's she would refer to it as, man, he, this person, her family, he has a spirit of the depression. Not meaning, you know, depression emotionally, but that that event shaped him thoroughly. I think, if I'm reading this right, that when he talks about a spirit of slavery, there's some similarity. I don't know that for a fact, but I think you are shaped by the fact that you live enslaved to sin and you're always using that or seeing that as core identity to who you are. And Paul says, look, this is not the lot for Christians. This is not how we're to live our lives. That's not from the Lord. How does that translate for you? I I don't know. I can tell you the way it can translate for me sometimes. Um is my worst day sometimes when I wake up in the middle of the night, what I'll remember is the, the worst the worst things I've ever done in the day, and it sometimes the that's when the devil tends to scream at me by that's that's who you are. You you're you know and condemnation, right? The battles that we fight, right? And God says you have that spirit is not from God. We need to stand against a spirit of being enslaved because that's not what God has intended for us. Now, I would think, you know, he would say, uh, if there was an opposite, I would think, well, it's not the spirit of slavery. It would be the spirit of freedom. That's what I would think. He says, no, but there's a capital S spirit. I think there is not the spirit of slavery. It's not the Holy Spirit, obviously. But I do think this idea of the Holy Spirit coming in, one of the things he brings us or is to bring us, 
is the sense that you are a child of God. Now, it's pretty trendy to say, hey, we're all just children of God. We're all God's children. And I guess there's one sense in which that's true, that God is the Father in that he's the creator of all people. So in the same way I could say, well, George Washington is the father of the country, but I don't think I'm his biological son or adopted son of George Washington. So it's not biblical thinking to say we're all children of God in the sense of we all have a relationship with God that is that. That comes through Jesus Christ. If you've got your Bible, I want you to turn to a a passage that speaks about this idea as well. In Galatians chapter 4, go forward about three books of the Bible through Corinthians and then to Galatians. I want you to look at Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 8. This is Paul speaking to people who've been enslaved by the law. Very similar to what he was talking about we've been dealing with in Romans. But listen to the way he phrases this here. Uh, we'll start with ch- uh, verse 3 of chapter 4. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, and Jesus is his begotten son. That's about the one and only begotten son we say in the creed. We're not begotten of God in the same way Jesus is, but we're children of his. God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons... God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. So that idea running through Galatians and Ephesians as well. So in Paul's day, You wouldn't adopt because most people wouldn't adopt, and virtually no one did, because you really wanted to have a child around. That was not a Roman concept in the day Paul wrote. The people who adopted were people who were wealthy and needed to pass on their wealth to a male heir. That was the law of the time. So adoption was something that you did so that your estate, your wealth, wouldn't be dismantled and sent to some distant relative. That was, the, that was the way that system worked. And so for Paul, he, he knew that, and, and his, there's this ordinary, you'd find a, uh, a, usually a slave that had worked in your household, somebody of good character, And first you had to redeem them. You had to free them. Because if they weren't, they couldn't become your heir as your slave. First, you redeemed them from slavery. You freed them. And then you bestowed upon them all of your the authority and the assets that you have so that your lineage would continue. They would take your name. There's lots and lots of records of this in... in, uh, not things written around Bible times. So think about that because 
In contrast, the Bible says, look, we're not worthy of good character. He's not bestowing your, the good on you because of how great you are and, you know, found you. It was the fact that it's God loved us through faith that we believe Him. Just because you believe Him, things change and you become adopted. He will take you into His family. Do, that should make us fall on our knees with remarkable the fact that you have been, you and I have been adopted by the God of the universe and made one of his children, not his slave. He could have, he has the power to just have us as his worker bees, his slaves. But he doesn't. He says, I invite you into familial relationship with me. So the fact that we are adopted and not slaves, think about what what a, a slave, it's not, probably not hard for us to imagine. A slave works under compulsion. A slave has no rights. A slave is afraid of the punishment if they don't do what the master commands. But for most of us, I don't think that's the way our children live. I hope not. Our children, hopefully, know they have full rights of the family. They have a seat at the table. They're f- free. They do things out of, hopefully it's a love relationship, not out of law. Remember the prodigal son. That's an instructive story. Think about that parable. What happened? The prodigal son went and spent his inheritance. Does he come back and say, Papa, your son's home. Hey, sorry about the, uh, you know, the whole prostitutes and uh, an alcohol thing that I spent our, your, my inheritance on. No. What do you say? Treat me as, it's translated hired servant, but it's the word for slave. He says, now our relationship is a slavery relationship because I've spent the inheritance. I've, I've used up my sonship because of my sin. What's the father's response? My son is home. It's a picture of what God wants to have with us. He wants you to be in relationship with Him in a familial way. Now, J.I. Packer said this, Our understanding of Christianity cannot be better than our grasp on adoption. If you want to find out how well you understand your faith as a Christian, then think about how much you understand what makes you God's child and having Him as your Father. That should prompt and control your worship and really your outlook on life. To be adopted is one thing. But to be adopted as a son, now I said before, like those of the female persuasion in this room, that may strike you as a little odd, right? Shouldn't it say, I'm adopted as a child? Well, that's fine as long as you don't want to inherit anything. I'm sorry, I mean, this is not, I'm not saying this is fair or right, it's just the way it was. Sons inherited everything at this day. The oldest son would get twice as much. As the other sons, the daughters, they just, they were out of luck. 
you want to be adopted as a son. Women, you want to be adopted as a son. We, we do disservice to the scripture and we do disservice to women by saying, oh, well, no, we should just be all adopted as, as children. This is not a gender thing. It's, it's an inheritance thing. Wouldn't you like to inherit? What do we inherit? Well, Paul said this morning, we, we're heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ. The riches of the God of the universe become something that if you are his child, if you will receive by confessing your sin, by putting your faith in him, you receive what was meant for Jesus. We're going to come back to that late, a little later in Romans 8, some of that. But just just wanted to, to cover that because, yes, we're all image bearers of God. Every human is, whether they know him or not. But to become a child of God, we need to be in relationship with him. And that means coming with with your repentance of your sins. And then coming and receiving as a son of God the inheritance And then this final phrase in this verse, of verse 15, that we receive the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, makes us cry, Abba, Father. Now, just right up front, Abba is an Aramaic word that does not mean daddy. That's what you'll hear people say. Abba is like a child crying daddy. No external evidence that that's, in fact, the case. I mean... You'll hear it, but no. What it just means is you're in the family. He could have used another phrase for that. So, But it doesn't make it less important. What it makes it is that he is your father. He's not your father of everybody. Now, don't know what your relationship with your fathers are like. There's 80, 90 people in this room, and... That may or may not trigger great things in you. Maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. What I can tell you is, your Father in Heaven is the best Father that ever was. And He wants to have a relationship with you, the best kind of Father relationship. So if you had a great Father, use that as a building block. If your relationship with your own Father is not so great, think of the redemption of having a Father that loves you so much. There's a sense in which each of us can have an, what I call an inner orphan. And we can think, you know, I'm, I'm looking for a father. And we live in a society where fatherlessness is just epidemic. There are so many kids who grow up without a father present, not ever knowing their father. And you know what I think the result of that is? I think it's fear. And some people, you know, put on an act and get tough and and whatever. I don't know all the reactions, but I do know that what God intended was for fathers to be present in the lives of their children such that they feel complete security. Complete security to come to Him at any time without fear of getting smacked around that they feel secure in asking their father for whatever they need and trusting that their father will or will not give them that. My kids have asked me for plenty of things I've said no to. I hope that doesn't make me a lousy father because when your four-year-old wants a you know, Tesla, 
or Ferrari or whatever, it's not wise to give it to them. But I want them to ask, don't you? I, I want my children to be able to ask me for anything without fear that I'll mock them or, or put them in, down in any way. And then I want my children to know they have access to me. I wish I could say I was 100%, but that the door of my heart and my office is not closed to them if they're my children. I still, to this day, if you've had meetings with me, you know, I, the only calls I will take in the middle of a meeting are from my wife and my children. They get access to me in a way that no one else does. You have a God that you have access to when no one else does. You're his favorite. Got to know that. You're adopted. You're the co-heir. You have the ability to come into his presence and to say, hey, dad, may not be daddy in the sense of that, and it's not just the words. There is there is a word sometimes that I think we overlook in this. In that same verse, in verse 15, it says, the, the spirit of adoption is sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The word for cry there is the word call. That's the root of the word. And it's an, you know what an onomatopoeia is? Pop. Onomatopoeia is a word that sounds like it. Well, the word caw, even in English, it translates exactly. The word is is the cry of a raven. So a caw, if you look at it, it's caw, caw, right? That's a pretty good raven. Um, caw, the word there for cry, is caw. So it's it's in Hebrew, is I mean in Greek, is the word, the onomatopoeia for the cry of a raven. It's an internal just not necessarily daddy in that in that baby you know childlike way, but it's it's a visceral thing. You can't just put in I think it's John Piper that say you can't just put in a computer and say Abba Father as long as you call him that you know and press the computer key that all of a sudden there's something just you cry. The Spirit of God witnesses to His being inside you by saying Dad. You know, parents, you know the tones of your children's voices, right? And when they pick up the phone and the first word is, Dad, very different from, Dad, what's going on? You know, it's very different when there's, and you know whether it's on the playground or at school or the phone or whatever, you know the tone and there's a cry that says, I'm in relationship with you. You're not a distant God. You're a God who's very present right now. In this Advent season, as we remember His coming, and we anticipate the looking back to when He came in human form, and we also look this way, we anticipate His coming again. Because make no mistake, if the Bible is true at all, there will be a day when the sky will open up and God himself will descend, coming not as a baby in a manger, but on a white horse, coming to make all things right. And in that, I hope our cry is not, oh, 
please wait, not this week. I have so much to do. I hope it's Father. God, you're here. We'll pick up in a couple weeks with this idea of sonship and as we move forward as to how we get to look like God. What does it mean to look like Him? Because true sons should look something like the Father. And even adopted sons, you begin to look like the God you serve. And it's probably not what you think. little teaser. It's much better and much harder than you thought. It says this, We are fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we're going to be glorified with Him. We're going to see the great privilege of a bit of suffering with God in order to look like Him. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, we thank You that Your Spirit lives in our hearts. And in that, you get to intensify our longing for the day, the Advent, Lord, we look forward to. When, when you will be with us, we will live in a renewed earth. Lord, fully realizing that we're your children. And that as we trust you as our Father, that you're never leaving us or forsaking us. You said you're, you're not going to leave us as orphans. Lord, as we saw this morning in uh, in Psalm 68, you're a father to the fatherless. You're a protector of widows. Lord, and that ultimately true religion is visiting orphans and widows. Lord, you have a heart to adopt all who will come to you. Lord, help us to realize that. And Lord, I pray that we would be able to soften our hearts toward those who either are truly orphaned or widowed or, but also to those who are orphaned in the sense of they're lost without you. Soften our hearts this Christmas season, Lord, that we would know that in our status, those of us who have believed in you, our status as heirs of yours, as children of yours, as sons of yours, we, Lord, could extend that same gift to those who are orphaned. Lord, you are good, and you have come all the way to us. So, Lord, send us out to bring others in. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me, please, as we close in worship?